Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur Show. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there who wants to find us, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs, or you can listen to us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. So before we get started and I introduce my guest uh, for today from New York City, New York, New York, um, I'm going to actually talk a little bit uh, about a question I received in um, and I figured I would answer it. I am an open book. I am authentic and I try to be vulnerable on the podcast. Uh, I did, um, in fact, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, but I'm also a human, and I know I do a podcast, and I know my life's very public, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs or future entrepreneurs or people that I influence and a role model to, especially younger kids in high school and things like that, particularly around high schools that I went to or colleges I went to, so I appreciate the feedback. Um, I've, I do do things. I'm, I'm a passionate Italian-American dream-loving go after what I want. Um, I live life publicly, obviously, because of the podcast. And I've said some things on the podcast that have always not been great. Uh, One of them was, oh, I'm in Nashville now. I'm like gonna find the woman of my dreams and get married and have children. That was said because I was upset about a breakup because of something that was going on. And I said that back in September, it was not something that I should have said. But I did say it. It was where I was. I was hurt. I was trying to react to a separating situation and trying to grow as a human. So to answer your question, the audience's question or um, Brandon's question that he submitted, um, I don't know what I'm doing right now with life. I'm trying to be an entrepreneur. That's what I'm always focused on, like God first, business and God first, family second, business third, uh, and then I take care of the community. So somewhere in there, that's the order. That's just the way I'm handling things. Just because I say things or do things or whatever, I'm a flawed human. It's in some ways, I'm an example of what to do. And I'm also an example of what not to do. That's how I learn by looking up to my mentors, by looking up to my leaders and understanding what to do and what not to do. I hope there's more things what to do than not to do. But I'm not a perfect person. And I am Uh, emotional and I am passionate and I'm always working on composure and being the best version of myself and a life of excellence and learning and adjusting to a new world constantly around me. So that being said, the question um, is this, I, or the answer is this to the question, you know, what does the future hold? Am I still with Deborah? Why did I make that comment? Uh, the comment is, no, I'm not. Deborah and I are no longer together. Do I wish that we were together and that I had done things differently? Of course, I'm a human. I make mistakes. I didn't handle things well under pressure. I let things erode in our relationship, and that's the way it happened. And she was a great co-host, and this podcast wouldn't be around if Deborah hadn't helped me start the podcast. So to answer the question in its entirety, Yes, we're still friendly. Yes, she matters to me. Yes, I, my stepkids still matter. It's just as an entrepreneur, as a leader, I, I'm always, I have a lot of emotion. I have a lot of passion. I have a lot of things that I'm leading up at the forefront. And sometimes I let my emotions or, or my thought or my imagination get the better of me. It doesn't mean that I don't use my imagination for visionary things and that it doesn't help 
me in many, many ways as an entrepreneur, but it also can hurt me. And if I don't keep things in check and I don't think keeps in check what my will versus God's will, so on and so forth, then things can get out of out of tune or out of whack. So that's sort of where we're talking about. I don't know exactly how to answer the question. I don't want to hurt anyone, but I do say that the decisions, the things that have gone on, they're my fault. I have done them. I'm an entrepreneur. I lead. I make decisions. I pivot. Sometimes I pivot wrong, and it costs um, cost things. And in my case, I just made some mistakes, and I made some decisions out of pressure and out of trying to go to Nashville and start a new life that cost me. Uh, and now I'm trying to work on those things. So as an entrepreneur, as someone that everyone looks up to and talks about that I'm a mentor to them and a coach to them by listening to podcasts and entrepreneurs out there, my goal is for every entrepreneur out there to have a better personal relationships and personal relationships than I have had. That's why I always talk about one person's always got to be good at making money. One person's always good, got to be good at managing it. Even if you're good at both in a relationship, someone's always ends up doing more of one or the other, in my opinion. And money's a big deal in relationships. And if you don't figure it out at the beginning and you don't figure it out as entrepreneurs, particularly as one may make more than the other in a relationship, things can go awry. So here's my input and my final answer to where I think you're going. Relationships come and go. Businesses come and go. We want our businesses and our relationships to stay around forever. They just don't. That's just, you know, that's just not always the case. In some cases they do. Ford's been around forever. You know, sometimes they acquire companies. Lincoln's not, is around forever because Ford acquired them. You know, Mercury used to be around, but they're no longer around. So while they were acquired and they still technically exist within Ford, they no longer exist. And so that's just the way life is. And so I don't know if I answered everyone's questions a little more personal, but I've had a few of them now asking about it. So that's where that is. Um, With that being said, I have with us from New York, New York, like I said, 357 Grand Street, New York, New York, from Diller restaurant michael garlic how are you doing today michael i'm very well very well and you i'm very good i took up a little too much time on that commissary uh commentary geez commissary i got food on the brain um commentary (laughs) but i appreciate the time michael and coming on and, and letting me sort of steal the show for a little bit before we got into your story yeah, you got to get it off your chest. Definitely, it's all good. Yeah, yeah, and I don't. I'll explain it better another episode. But I figured I'd start to answer the question since it's there. So, Michael, let's talk about you. These this podcast are more about you guys and your entrepreneurial journey. So, tell me about your story. How'd you end up in pickles, um, for lack of a better term? But what's your story? Where'd you grow up? What are the entrepreneurs in your background like? And how did you end up a food entrepreneur? Good question. I mean, um, I grew up in uh, Hollis, Queens. Uh, That's where I spent most of my time. I moved around here and there, but most of the time was spent in Hollis, Queens. Uh, Single mom, uh, brothers, and, you know, we had to make ends meet. Um, So, you know, I was the oldest out of my siblings with my mom, and I had to find a way, you know, certain things, certain struggles. We all have struggles, and I had to make sure uh, my mom and my family was good at a young age, and I went out and, and, and made sure, you know, I, we all had a way um, to just to live and be happy. So it started out there in Queens and then 
growing up. Um, and you actually did an interview with him recently. Alan Kaufman um, was a was a family friend, actually my my father's friend, a very good friend, and um, uh, he used to be a manager of an old time pickle company, but now he's the owner of the Pickle Guys. So you know, being a friend and being young, going to school. I started helping helping him out with the pickle guys. Um, started part time, full time, just to make uh, some couple extra bucks for for my family. And then that's what I start. That's how I started in the pickle game, um, before and after the pickle guys, even currently. And then um, once we started doing that, we try to be a little bit more innovative, a little bit more um, niche and unique. And that's where Dealer was born. And we try to take the pickle and fry it and uh we got a fried pickle and that's how diller was born i love this actually because we haven't while this episode hasn't been released it'll be released by the time this episode's released the pickle guys and i think it's only a couple ahead of this one Okay. And Alan talks about how he learned from other pickle entrepreneurs and, and guys back in the day. And it's interesting because now he's giving back what he's been giving and he gave it to you. And now you're an entrepreneur also in the space, just like entrepreneurs in the pickle game gave him his pickle game. Now you have the pickle game because of Alan. I think that that's kind of interesting or the pickle guys. So Yeah, definitely. So tell me about, like, have you always loved pickles? Did you grow up around pickles? Like, did you grow, grow up pickling um, other than just being in New York? Is it something that sort of your family did um, at all? No, it's just my, my, my father's friends uh, used to own an old school pickle company. And um, I, you know, used to go over there and he used to work there when I was young and I used to go over there after school and eventually I just started, I don't know. It's just I, my last name, garlic. I don't know. It was just an, a, an, a, an attraction. I, I don't know what it was. I fell into a barrel, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's, that's how it started. Yeah. So I love this. Um, I love what you've done. I love that the pickle game is so strong. So let's talk about, you decide to go into the pickle game. You decide to go out on your own. How'd you have the conversation? How'd you find a space? How'd you come up with a concept? Like, and how'd you make this transition? Because while pickles are one thing, actually frying pickles is a whole other thing. So you've, you've kind of made a transition just from the pickling into the actual cooking of the food game. So talk to me about that transition in its entirety, finding the place coming up with the recipes, designing the menu, all of those type of things. Yeah, the very important part of being an entrepreneur is that you that ha- that passion, that drive has to be there. Without that, you won't it's difficult to move it forward or move ahead or climb up the ladder. And, you know, just being with pickles, you know, it it, it kind of got it was starting to get redundant. So, um, between Alan, uh, William, Mike, you know, other owners of the uh, of the pickle guys and the other pickle guy team, um, other pickle guys, we all are pickle guys. We sat down and said, listen, we got to be a little bit more innovative. And, you know, my current partner now, William, he says, listen, let's make a fried pickle shop. And you know what? We sat down and says, how do we create a menu around pickles that are actually prepared cooked food? 
So we had to sit down and do a lot of research. Um, it took a lot of time. Um, you know, we had to research target markets. What do people like? What do people love? We know they like a pick on a barrel, but now do you cook it? Do they like it? You know, so we had a lot of questions to answer. And throughout our research and maybe a few years of planning, um, we, we created our first few menu items. Um, after taste testing sauces, um, we rolled out a few, didn't like this, like that, and we kept the best. So we started out with just three or four menu items, and we had to go from there. And so what were those menu items? How did you come up with the recipes? Talk to me about that. And what were those items? And when did you launch? So we had to, in consideration of our pickle customers already from the pickle guys, we are kosher over there. So we had to be kosher in this new spot, in this new location. Um, and we had to, we wanted to have the same target market. And in order to stay kosher, you have to make a choice, either meat or dairy. You cannot have both. So we stuck with the dairy side and no meat. That way we are vegetarian with some vegan options. So the first menu item was actually, of course, it had the, it had, we had to make the menu around a pickle. So we took a sour pickle and we said, how can we make the best fried pickle and be vegan and also gluten-free so we can cater to many diets. So we had to do a lot of research. Um, we had a couple of people to help us with the research and we created a batter that really stuck well with the pickle and also can cater to a few diets. So that was the first menu item. Then Alan actually, he came up with an egg roll idea with some kind of pickles in it and different items. So from there, we had to scale it and make it professional um, to restaurant grade. And um, we took that idea of his and, and, and made an egg roll. That was another item. And then we started doing a little research what, what, what fried food is his best, you know, orange cheese, rice ball. So we made a rice ball. We made it actually a pickled okra rice ball. So we pickled okra, pickled sweet peppers, a few cheeses, and we batter bread it and cook the rice and mix it all up with some gumbo spices. Um, very interesting. We wanted to make very unique menu items where it cannot be replicated. You only can get it at Diller NYC. Um, that was three. And then I think, you know, we, we cut some potatoes and see how we can switch the game up. So we brine them. Everything has to be pickled. So we let them soak in salt, water, and vinegar for a few days, pull them out, fry them. They taste like salt and vinegar chips, something that you've never tasted before. So we have that on the menu. So with a lot of research and a lot of, um, you know, trial and error, we got those menu items to start with. And that was a, that was a beautiful start. This is really cool. I love this, what you guys are doing. So what does your entire menu look like now? Like what do people, what's your most popular items? And I mean, you're kind of in a pickle district down there for lack of a better term. Do you, what, did you find success initially? So let's actually, let me back up a little bit. Let's talk about the, the menu, the full menu that you have now. Um, what are your most popular items? And then what are the items that you have on there? And I guess what's right, your favorite? Yeah, right now the most popular item is what we're known for, the fried pickles. The second most popular would be our burger. We have a meatless burger that when you try it, you'll be confused. Like there's, you would ask the question again and again, you sure there's not any meat in here? Um, those are our two most popular items. Um, we use like 
caramelized onions, a cheese, a house-made sauce, bread and butter pickles from the pickle guys, and then serve it between a Martin's potato bun. Um, um, those are the two most popular items. The item I like the most are probably the fried pickles. Um, we've expanded to fried pickled other items like fried mushrooms or fried olives. We batter, bread it, and if it tastes good, pickled, it might taste good fried. So fried mushrooms and fried pickles are probably my most popular. I mean, the ones I like. Um, and yeah, yeah. Um, so now that you've built this business and things got started, what is it? I mean, do people come all all day long? Do people come at night? Is it, I mean, do you get written up like the pickle guys? Because I've got to imagine, like, this is a unique concept. And not to mention, it's typically a southern dish. Yes. So um, our oper- hours of operation are usually from 1130 to 8. So we'll get a lunch and probably dinner crowd. Weekend, definitely, when you want to go for a stroll in the neighborhood, you carry, we have a little cone you can walk with with a dipping sauce, you know, a little snack. Or if you want to have a burger on the go, you definitely can stop by from us. So we do a lot of uh, catering to office buildings for lunchtime. Um, people in the neighborhood want to come down and just have a snack of pickles and maybe burger and fries for lunch and, you know, some of a, of a dinner. Um, yeah, we get a few write-ups, um, you know, the low-down local um, media outlets have reached out and did a couple of reports on us. We have a pretty, pretty decent um, uh, reviews on Google and Yelp. Um, so we, we, we try to be noticed a little bit, but, you know, we stay true to the brand and try to make sure customer service and our quality of food is top notch. You talked about business partners and having partnerships and a team and a group around you. Talk to me about the team that you guys have, you know, your qualities. What do each of you guys do? Uh, sort of what's your superpower, for lack of a better term, and 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 what you guys do well together. I feel like you're obviously accomplishing something. You've done multiple businesses together. So tell me about each one of you. How do you guys, what are your greatest skills, and then how do you come together as a team? Well, I like to keep it as, like, um, you know, a lot of people, customers, a lot of patrons actually get the idea of that's the owner. And, you know, I don't like to really portray that. I like to say, hey, listen, we're all a team. Whether you work here or not, we all have positions and we all have duties to make this company or this brand great. Right. So we're all a team down to the person who's picking the barrel out to the person who's um, doing all the financing and marketing and, you know, everybody has a job. So we try to work as a family. Um, everybody knows a little bit of everything, but everybody has their special duty that they, this is him, you know? Um, so yeah. And, and, and you can't do everything yourself. So you always need a team, whether it's partnership, employees, whether you're an employer, employee, you need a team regardless. So I think that um, building a team is very important. Um, having a lot of morals and ethics is very important. Standards are very important um, in order to cater to the brand because it's, you know, being an entrepreneur, entrepreneur and creating a business is almost like having a child. Whether it's two parents, three parents, one parent, your goal is to create a brand 
and be selfless to that brand. I agree with you. And I, it is a child. And if you don't take care of it, it does go go very wrong. And, exactly. uh, and the individuals that you're raising within the company, the executives, the employees, that can go very wrong as well. And um, especially if you don't figure it out and you don't make adjustments and we're going to make mistakes as an entrepreneur, you know, I made plenty of mistakes. I've unfortunately at the very beginning, there were a lot of people that I ended up having to let go because I didn't manage them properly because I was young Mm. and I didn't know and, and I hurt them. And that's what I, you know, as an entrepreneur, we have our, our managers, we have a lot more responsibility than we know. Like we can either lift people up or we can put them down, but we've also got to understand that when we're learning, we are going to make mistakes and we don't want to keep making the same mistakes with the same person over and over again. Sometimes, even though they're a good employee, if we've made a lot of mistakes in our learning, we have to let them go because it will negatively impact them by staying in the environment where we've unfortunately wronged them in some ways. But that is part of the deal. That is part of the deal, unfortunately, of being an entrepreneur. We learn at the same rate as our employees, but because we learn a little differently and we're able to bounce back. We can often have negative impact on those that aren't built like we are, um, or yep. haven't developed their entrepreneurial skills or thick skin or where, however you want to look at it as we have. Um, so Michael, tell me about yourself. Who have been your motivate motivators in life? Who inspires you? What keeps you going every day? It's a real good question. Um, when I was younger, uh, growing up in the, the late '80s, early '90s, where I can, you know, have a a, a perspective of things, um, you know, adults around me were very um, redundant. You go to work, you got to be there at nine o'clock. You work five days a week. You get one week vacation, and it wasn't too attractive to me, you know. Um, so I don't think one person was my, I I didn't have one specific um, person who motivated me. It was just, you know, I just sat back and looked at what I would want to be when I grew up. And um, a nine to five, which, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you have to do that sometimes, you know, as far as time, but it's more of an expressive feeling. Like you can be innovative when you're an entrepreneur and i saw when i was growing up i didn't see um the adults around me they weren't able to be too expressive or innovative or you know things that they had on their mind they couldn't be openly creative and i felt like i had a lot of ideas in my head so you know just going to work clocking in and clocking out i wouldn't they would jumble in my head and I need to release them. So the only way I can do it is if becoming an entrepreneur. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And I find that I will avoid at all costs going into a corporate world or working for someone else, no matter how much money it is. It's like I avoid it like the plague. Like I seriously, it's yeah. the the most interesting thing that happens even in my transitions in life. Um, I will literally not, it's like two magnets that are reverse, that are polarizing each other. They're just pushing each other away. And that's what happens to me. Um, And I agree with you. It's the the freedom. It's the stress is worth it. I find huge purpose in it. I find Mm -hmm. the day-to-day leading uh, extremely purposeful and extremely fulfilling. I find the 
things that are normally stressful to everyone else around me, the not stressful. I only find the thing, I find people stress the stressful thing. Like, why are we stressing out? That's the part that gets stressful for me. And that's the part I'm working on right now, actually, is how to deal with other people's stress. Because generally, I don't get stressed over what they're stressed over. But if enough people get stressed, I start to pick up their stress. And that's what I'm working on is how to deal with, okay, like, I don't care about this, the thing that's causing the stress, but all of you being stressed out is stressing me out because we shouldn't be stressed out about it. You know, and, and that's the thing that I think as a leader, we constantly are upping our game and we're constantly trying to figure out new ways to improve ourselves and notice little quirks about ourselves to improve our entrepreneurial game, which often improves our businesses, which improves the people that work with us or our our team members and so on and so forth. So I think there's a lot of that. Um, What do you hope in the future brings for you at Diller? Like, what do you guys, how'd you come up with a name, number one? And two, what are you hoping the future holds for you? Um, We had to just do a little testing of names and see how it sticks with us a little uh you know our friends and family opinions um and we came up with a a name and we work with a team that does branding and we had to decide on what we like the best um so we sat down as a team and decided that this is the best um we felt that it gives a uh the character which is like a bear it gives it a whimsical very friendly kind of vibe and that's what we want when you come into our shop and try out food it's going to be fun it's going to be cool it's of all ages as of anybody coming in it's going to be an experience it's not just about the food it's an experience um and what do i see in the future for diller is just giving that experience to different communities so we are kosher we can offer that experience to the kosher community you know, we can offer it to a vegan community, a vegetarian community. So it's just the benefits that we feel that our food is included, which are pickles. Pickles is always healthy for the gut, right? Probiotics, it's gut health. And that with our food and, you know, with our mission, we can we can give that to different kind of communities. And tied in with the experience, it's a win-win for us. So hopefully we can get there in the future. And we're going to work to that. And I assume you're hoping this grows. I mean, do you guys use delivery services? Talk to me about that. I mean, you're frying food. It's New York City. How do you manage all that? Do you use any of the delivery services to, to push your product? Yeah, we do. We actually at one point was on every delivery service app, so any third party. But unfortunately, um, you know, we had to change those things because their market caps, their their percentage was a lot. So they would take a high percentage. Um, COVID actually, New York State created a law that prevents all of these third party apps um, from charging so high so they have they put a cap on it but now currently we're in battle with they're starting to release the cap and trying to go back up um restaurants every penny counts so if you're taking one percent you know it's going to matter so we're trying to work that out now where it doesn't eat into our team we still have a team that we have to support so we have the you know bills we have to pay and if it eats into that then 
hey, listen, you can always order from our website where there's no extra fees. And there's no marketing fees for these third-party apps. That we, we, we suggest anybody who wants to support us, just go to dealernyc.com. Maybe you can call up and buy some merch, you know, and, and directly with us. But we understand how convenient it is for these third-party apps and how convenient they make it for customers and they offer discounts. So we try to be, you know, on one or two that best fits, but you know, we'd have to be very cautious because of the uh, the prices they charge us. Yeah, I think it's upwards of 15% now, and at least in most of the country, uh, maybe even the world. But it is it is ridiculous how much money is being paid. That doesn't go to the drivers. That's not the delivery fee. Nope. Because there's nope. a delivery fee, which you guys pay, which goes to the driver, and then the driver, well, they get a percentage of the delivery fee. Correct. And then there's the tip on top of it, which everyone says that the drivers get 100% of it, which I guess I generally believe. But then there's the service fee, which is that 15% that we're talking about, which seems reasonable. However, the price of the food, if you go to McDonald's and you order uh, $13 worth of food, by the time you get it delivered, it's going to be $26 with the fees, with the taxes, with the tips, and with the delivery. And most of the time, like I will say this, the delivery drivers are generally not making enough money and the restaurants are not making enough money in this model. Correct. Okay, so Correct. if DoorDash isn't making enough money, then there's something wrong with the model. That's all I'm going to yes. say. And I get it. Everyone needs food and we need these these deliveries, but we've got to be able to, and robots and automation is not the answer. I'm sorry. There's no. something we're doing wrong where yes. the in-between step is making way more money than the finished food step. And so well, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to give you a little, uh, so customers see it on their end, how much a $13 burger can increase because of the fees of whichever third party app, nothing specific can make it to $26. You could almost double, but how about this? A lot of customer consumers don't know that before COVID, which they're trying to do now, we would get in charge at the most 34% to be on certain third party apps platforms. 34%. So not only they're double charging the customer, they're paying us half. Yeah. And that's what I just want everyone to realize. So the customer is paying 15%, but then they're also paying the restaurant, which then the restaurant is paying a percentage of that fee back to DoorDash or to Uber or to whoever also. I mean, and the only reason I, I, I'm not saying that we need to get rid of delivery service. I'm just saying we need to be very aware of what's going on here and the, the power and the control and the key to the kingdom here. And that's, and so if you're paying for it, like, what is it that we're paying for? What does that 15% bring? Okay. Marketing and advertising, I can get clicks online well so can any other restaurant now like there's not yep. much barrier to entry so that's not a suitable thing so everyone paying the same amount of money this becoming this giant marketplace of um delivery food which marks up the food which causes inflation because now the same thing that you would normally charge $13 in store to sell it online you're going to charge $17 and then on top of that they're marking it up 15% so you having to charge more to cover their fee actually gives them more percentages all the way around just so everyone's aware that's why it's a percentage so you having to up your cost to make up for their percentage you're just playing a running game at upping 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 until their percentage is enough 
that you make enough on your percentage to cover your own, but at the same time, they're getting more and more and more by you having to increase to cover your price. So on both sides, from the customer and from the the merchant, as they call it, or vendor. So it's a crazy scenario that we live in. It's a good business model for them. It makes money. However, it's going to uniform and almost deface our food system because now the face of our business is DoorDash, not McDonald's, even though McDonald's is giving us the meal. And Mm -hmm. so we just have to be aware that that is going on. And as consumers, like because McDonald's does a great job delivering doesn't mean the Uber driver is going to do a great job delivering it. And that's part of, as entrepreneurs, as restaurateurs, that's why I asked the question because of pickles and their sensitivity and being fried, like handling all this and getting the food delivered amongst this chaos of costs and drivers. And, you know, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just, there's not much regulation. That's part of the problem. We are totally deregulated in the food delivery business. It is, the government doesn't have oversight over it. The states don't have oversight of it. The legislation that's trying to catch up with it is too far behind already because it moved so fast during COVID. So it's great. It's helping businesses. But at some point, there's going to be a falling out because they control too much of the gate to the entry for the consumer into these businesses. Anyway, that's my opinion. And then my last is this, that if you look at the ones that are out there, they're starting to build their own restaurants. They're starting to build their own stores. So are they helping us or are they hurting us as entrepreneurs? So while it may be in the short run, look good in the long run they're actually building ghost kitchens and things like that in their own food businesses to compete with you that's what i would do yeah yeah so you know i i hate to say it but if they own the customers and the restaurants don't what do you do you convert the customers to your own products so you make higher profit margins business 101 and so (laughs) I mean, I just think that in the audience and everyone and, you know, DoorDash is a big part of of this podcast and everything else, but it is something to be aware of. You know, it is something to be aware of that as long as we allow them, as long as we as food entrepreneurs allow this or think that they have more power than us, even though we have more power collectively, it goes back to like this whole monitor. Like you let the one, Goliath has all the power, even though there's a hell of a lot more Davids. And so... Um, we just have to be aware of what's going on here and we have to decide how we're going to handle it. And everyone's like, oh, it's a momentum you can't stop. The consumers are there. I agree. I'm not saying I have a solution. I'm just saying we need to be aware that there's a a growing problem here that could cause a huge bottoming out. Any of these companies go under or mismanage or anything like that, there's a huge bottom out and not one company is going to go fill a market and who's going to take care of all the jobs. So when I say deregulation, um, or they're not regulated. Um, I guess deregulation means they were regulated in the first place. They're unregulated. And um, there's just no way to control what's going on there, in my opinion. And I think that they'll continue to charge up those fees as long as there aren't caps. And as long as governments keep getting pushed around, because we all know that they now have enough money to do the lobbying and that's the problem when businesses and industries grow fast is if they outpace the regulation, they can get into lobby and create their own regulations around it. Companies like Heinz actually 
did this, but they did it for food safety. They were trying to compete with everyone else who was doing it wrong, and they went and lobbied for food safety. So it depends on what your motive is, but I would just say that um, we're looking at things a little bit differently here. Um, The entrepreneurs, the consumers, they're not seeing the end product. And it's almost an Amazon model, for lack of a better term. We have these giant conglomerates who basically deliver the food. So. Michael, talk to me about um, the things that you love the most about being in business, the things you love most about being an entrepreneur. What do you love about the pickle business or or being in New York City? Like anything like that that I think is just hugely um, important about who you are. Um, You know, being an entrepreneur, like I said before, uh, you know, you, you, you can be creative. You have the freedom to speak or create what's in your mind if you have a different perspective. You can be open about that. So you can trial at your course, at, at, at your course, at the entrepreneur's course, at my course, um, if I have an idea, I have to fully understand, like you said before, that this may fail, but it's at my cost. I'm responsible for that, you know? But the freedom of being open and creative, um, that's what I, that's why I do it. And I'll take that risk. Um, the good thing, the great thing about being an entrepreneur is uh, leading a team that if you know how it feels and somebody has, and you see that entrepreneurship in somebody else that may not have the opportunity, I feel good when I give that person opportunity, even if he's an employee that person should be open to be created in that person's position. So it doesn't have to be an entrepreneur as far as like going up and opening this big business. It could be in that person's position being creative and allowing him to uh, create basically. Um, In New York city, the good thing is that we run into a lot of people as far as uh, social, you know, business, um, you know, employees, we have a different range of, employees, nationalities, personalities, and I can learn people because everybody's different and learning how to deal with this person. The goal is to get along with everybody, no matter what, it's a beautiful thing. And in New York city is a giant melting pot. So melting pot. So you're going to run into all kinds of customers, you know, um, little less unhappy, uh, more unhappy customers. So in, in learning how to deal with those situations, um, you know, still holding your morals, your ethics and being professional, you know, is a challenge, but I love the challenge. So New York City brings that and pre- people appreciate the unique uniqueness and creativity that we put in just with a pickle. You know, um, I apologize. I can't mail of fried pickles, you know, some fried pickles, but, you know, you can enjoy some pickles from the pickle guys. That's our team as well. Um, but anytime anybody's in New York City from out of state, we would love them for the, you know, for them to stop by and really try because you, you would get out of experience that you've never had any any other time in your life. I love this. And lastly, um, as we sort of wrap this up, um, and well, actually, there's there's two parts to this. The first part is like, what are leadership skills that you think are the most valuable in a human or in someone's character and being an entrepreneur? 
And then after that, the mic is yours to inspire, give entrepreneurs advice, what you wish you knew when you started being an entrepreneur, anything like that. So the first part is, um, I forgot what the first part was actually, your inspiration, I believe. And then the second part is, um, we want to share any, and inspire others. Yeah. So being leadership a leader, skills. It, yeah. Sorry. Yep. Yep. Leaders. No, it's all good. So being a leader, it, it, it takes a lot. Um, you know, being an entrepreneur first, what I've learned is some, most of the time you got to learn the hard way because you're already probably unique and have a perspective that nobody else has. So there's going to be a lot of people who agree with you and a lot of people who do not agree with you. But the only way to find out is you just have to do it. There's no right or wrong answer. You just got to do it. And once you do it, then that's where your learning lessons are. Um, being a leader, um, you take, you know, a lot of morals, a lot of ethics, a lot of like standards. Being a leader, you have to show them, you know, the best version of you. You know, you have to show people that you are allowed to make mistakes. It's how you recover from them. It's how you handle those mistakes. You allow to, you know, be great and successful. It's also how you handle that success. So when you lead a team, um, you definitely have to lead by example, but be a human being. Don't be this perfect guy where, you know, in some leadership um, teams, in, in some teams with their leaders, sometimes they're unapproachable. We all have issues personally. We all have personal things that go that are going on. So we need to take that in consideration. Be an open book as a leader where that person or that team can come to you about anything. Um, so, you know, being a leader, you know, you're responsible. You're responsible for a team, not just one person, but many. Um, as far as any mo motivation or any words for any upcoming or entrepreneurs in general, I would say just create and be yourself. Um, you're going to hear, this may sound cliche, but a thousand people are going to tell you no. <laughs> a thousand people are going to tell you no. Nobody knows. Those no's can turn that one yes, you could be the most successful person. And so we have so many success stories. Um, and the realest thing is, like, everybody's not going to be successful. Everybody's not going to be that successful entrepreneur. But, you know, I don't really do it for success. I just do it for the creativity and the to be open and, and really get my ideas out that out there. Um, I wasn't always a successful entrepreneur. I have a lot of fail. I have more failure stories than success stories. Um, and you know, something's got to stick. And if it didn't, then I would go get a nine to five. That was plan B. But until then, I'm going to keep trying until I can't anymore. And that's it. Just be creative. Um, research, a lot of research, a lot of reading. Um, the more research and education that you have, the less mistakes that you will probably make because you have that education. And and that's it. Just just try to be great, do the best you can, the best you know you can, and that's it. Thank you so much, Michael. I really appreciate. Could you let everyone know where they could find you guys, where your address is, what your social media is, etc., uh, for your business and for you, if you want to share that as well? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. My name is Mike Garlic. G A R L I C K. Just Google us. Diller N Y C. D I L L E R N Y C. 
on all social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, you name it, Facebook, we're on it. So you just Google us. We're located in the heart of New York City. Um, actually, not a heart, more lower side. We call it the Lower East Side, where it used to be the Pickling District. So Lower East Side, 357 Grand Street, New York, New York, 10002. Just Google us, Diller NYC. You'll find us. Um, if you come in, say hi. I heard Mike Garlic on the show on a podcast, and we'll hook you up. Love it. Um, what's your favorite food other than pickles? I have one more question, just because I'm curious. In New sure. York City, what's your favorite food other than pickles? Oh man, it's. I, I, to be honest, I don't have. What I appreciate about New York City's foods is that it's so many different cultures in one. Especially Lower East Side, it's no favorite food, but my um right now i don't have a, that's a very difficult question <laughs> i don't have a favorite right now i don't i don't um yeah i've been i've been dibbling and dabbling you know throughout new york city but i don't have a favorite right now i love it um, i don't i mean it's hard because new york city has a little bit of everything and i agree with you like it could be Cuban one day, it could be Puerto Rican the next day, it could be Italian tomorrow. Um, yep. It could be donuts and bagels, you know? Exactly. And exactly. it just it never ceased to amaze me. All of the um, all the variety and the constant new innovation and businesses and the things that people do. Like what you guys are doing, I think that what you guys are doing with the fried pickles and the burgers mm-hmm. and the sandwiches and the menu... Um, is just incredible and the fried mushrooms and anything that's pickled I'm interested to see what else you guys eventually come up with so I appreciate yeah. you again Michael again everyone sorry my commentary at the beginning was a little bit jitterly but basically what I'm saying as an entrepreneur we make mistakes uh, in our businesses and in our personal lives we just have to own it and we just have to pivot and we learn from our mistakes as fast as possible. That's what makes us entrepreneurs. That's what separates us from the rest of the world or the rest of the animals is, or other humans, is that it's our ability to get knocked down constantly or learn lessons or what would knock someone else down is more just like a flesh wound to us. We, we feel it, it hurts, but we move on. It's more like a paper cut. And if you allow too many of them to go on, yes, you can have death by a thousand paper cuts. But the entrepreneur generally deals with the paper cut within a timely manner and understands how to make sure it doesn't happen again. First, we triage it. We figure out how to move forward. Then we go back and analyze how, why did it happen? How can we make sure it doesn't happen again? And is it important enough to actually address where it's not just a one-off? Because a lot of times as entrepreneurs, we have a huge problem happen and it's just a one-off and we adjust our whole business to it thinking it's a good idea and it's not a good idea. I do want to say that also we live in a world where everyone's pivoting and everyone's jumping and everyone's Mr. Entrepreneur and Mrs. Entrepreneur. Well, it also means picking your head up and looking around a little bit and pausing. It doesn't mean jumping or pivoting or being so reactionary because I see so many entrepreneurs based on how fast-paced the world is and the reels and everything that we're being reactionary. And so to tie together the, the commentary to what I just said is when we're reactionary as entrepreneurs, as humans, and we don't think things through and we don't make sure that it's a, a credible, logical thought and we don't weigh out the impact of our life, not saying we shouldn't jump after opportunity or when opportunity knocks, we shouldn't open the door. 
But what I am saying is you can look out the peephole. You can say, hold on a minute. Let me put on my clothes before I open the door. So I'm not stark naked when I open it and fully exposed. And that's what I'm trying to say here. It doesn't mean that I'm trying to turn everyone away or we're trying to do it. It just means you can slow down every once in a while. And that is okay. Um, and when we don't and life gets hectic and we're trying to make a lot of decisions and we, we take on too much during a day, we end up in personal and uh, professional crisis, in my opinion, based on my experience. So make sure that uh, you weigh things very heavily and you think about things logically and you don't get caught up in your emotions because when they start to drive the bus, they don't drive in the right direction for sure. So... Thank you again. Uh, Michael, you have anything you want to say again before we go? No, that's it. I mean, um, I think you explained it all. You had a lot of points. Um, great having me. I appreciate the time. And um, everybody, yeah, that's it. Awesome. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. Share the episode. Give it five stars. If you like these guys over at Pickle Guys, you like Diller, write a review, give it five stars, share it, do whatever you can because that helps the entrepreneurs on here. That's how the algorithms work. I'm just going to be point blank. That's what it is. No different than what's obvious word of mouth actually helps the algorithm. Sharing it, writing comments, liking it does does wonder. So we give it away for free. These entrepreneurs come on here for free. No one's getting paid to do anything. We're just trying to give away good content here and share what's out there and push it in the way that we can with what's been given to us. So thank you guys for listening in. I love all of you. You can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs, and you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. I love you guys. We're out.